1: Right now without further ado and without all the pomp and circumstance, here he is, Doctor History. Good morning, Zeb. Hi, good buddy. morning. How are you?
0: Great, great. Had a good weekend with my family and uh still eating leftovers. Seventy five or eighty people were there? Oh, probably eight or nine hundred. I see. And <laughs> how about twenty five? Like Jesus on the mount, you just reached we into the basket everybody. and fed him fish. We did. Okay. So I gotta say hi to a few people. All right. I want to say hi to Ian back in New Jersey. He had some more information about Bass Reeves. David uh, has suggested I do a story about the Trail of Tears. Travis also had some more information about Bass Reeves. Uh, Let's see. Bill. Uh, gave me some information about the Yuchi Indians in eastern Tennessee that we talked about, and then Jeff, who's been a listener for quite a long time, he sent me some more pictures about uh, on uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder. Oh, good! So we've had some really good, uh, good. Uh, response here in the last. Isn't week. it
1: funny And back off, maybe a little bit on the mic. It's okay. a little fuzzy. But Bass Reeves, for some reason, boy, that really piqued a lot of interest. It did. It really yeah. did. Yeah. So yeah. you did a good job. On that, story. yeah, he was a fun one. Yeah, to talk about. he was. A, did you say he was a pretty big man in stature?
0: Uh, I, I think he was, but you know, the, the comparison is with him and the Lone Ranger. Oh, that, that's that's
1: what it was. That's the, yes. the comparison, yeah,
0: that's what it was. So, today, Zeb, we're going to talk about something I have never really talked about before that may probably a lot of people don't think uh, relates to the old West.
1: But... Your financial situation,
0: <laughs> no, okay. that's, we don't want to go there. How about boxing, Zeb? Boxing.
1: No. I will say that I've read some stories of the Old West where pugilism was really uh, the main attraction of a sport for those folks. Oh, yeah,
0: and that's what we're going to talk about today. So, you know, the manly art of prize fighting has been around since the beginning of recorded time, but only in the last decade has the sport been promoted into a billion-dollar industry. Mm. The evolution of boxing from a working-class pastime of bare-knuckle brawling to a pair. Pay-per-view uh, mega attraction that can be traced back to two legendary lawmen from the Old West, Wyatt Earp and Bat Masterson. You're kidding? No, I didn't. And that. that was a surprise to me. But uh, so Wyatt. Uh, arrived in Nome, Alaska in the summer of 1899. That
1: was after he was in Tombstone and everything, (laughs) wasn't it?
0: By then, Wyatt had gained some fame in the boxing world, and it wasn't all necessarily good. Mm. So Wyatt, in his early 20s, actually began officiating boxing matches across Wyoming territory for railroad crews and buffalo hunters. And before Wyatt got linked with heavyweight champion Bob Fitzsimmons, a pal of Wyatt's, a good friend of his, Bat Masterson, helped Judge Roy Bean promote a fight between Fee- Fitzsimmons and a guy by the name of Peter Mayer. Okay? Yeah. Now, with boxing outlawed in Texas, the bout was fought in a makeshift ring on Mexican soil in the town of, I hope I say this right, Coahuila? Coahuila?
1: How's it spelled?
0: C O A H. U-I-L-A, Kohila,
1: I think. Uh, anyway. I have to look at that.
0: But uh, it has spectators viewing the fight from a hillside overlooking the Rio Grande. And a former lawman in Dodge City, Kansas, Masterson, secured the ticket handling and the fighting purse. He also covered the sport in his Denver, Colorado newspaper column for, uh, it was called George's Weekly, and promoted prize fights at his Olympic athletic club. Really? Now, Masterson's history in the boxing arena, including serving as the timekeeper at the first, the very first, World Heavyweight Championship under the Queensberry Rules. And you've heard of that. And I, yeah. I really don't know exactly what those And are this guys. was all bare knuckle. Yeah. Ooh. So in this 1892 battle, and you've heard of this, Gentleman Jim Corbett yeah, I've heard of defeated Boston strong boy John L. Sullivan yes. by a knockout in 21 rounds.
1: Let me ask you quickly, if you were in a fist fight, in a uh, pugilistic fight with Wyatt Earp as the referee or whatever, and you got the living you-know-what out of you, why would you want to go back and do it again? <laughs> <laughs> I
0: wouldn't last past the first first hit. <laughs> so Holy anyway, and then by uh, in 1896, there was a bout in Mexico, and heavyweight champion Fitzsimmons scored a knockout win in 95 seconds. And anyway, Masterson moved on along the boxing circuit. And uh, later that year, they had kind of a scandal that erupted. Uh-oh. So here we are. It's, we're in San Francisco. So, California heavyweight contest, uh, Fitzsimmons landed a three punch combination on, quote, Sailor Tom Sharkey, with the last punch hitting below the belt. Oh boy. Now, Wyatt ruled the final blow a foul and awarded the fight and his $10,000 purse. To Sharky, and the network cut to a commercial. Yeah, and Sharky got ten thousand, which would be like at least a hundred or hundred thousand or more today. Wow! Now, a friend of Sharky's manager, Danny Lynch, uh, Wyatt was accused of fixing the fight, which he, of course, he denied. But uh, Fitzsimmons, he left. He was mad. He was, uh, you know, angry, and uh, the crowd was kind of not very happy with this whole thing anyway. And uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, that all kind of blew over. But anyway, so hoping to find some of the gold glittering on the shores of Nome, Alaska, Wyatt arrived there with his wife, Josie. He'd been invited by a friend, a guy named George Lewis, Texas. Ricard. Now, I'm going to talk a lot about this guy, Tex Ricard. Okay. So keep that guy in mind. He's going Tex. To... Tex. We're... Gotcha. Tex Ricard. Okay. So actually, Tex was born in Kansas City, Missouri in 1870. Yep, I can see why they called him Tex. Yeah, <laughs> because he was born in Missouri, yeah. right? So in 1870, he actually was reared in North Texas. I see. So that's where oh, it comes okay. in, Zip. Right. And he actually worked as a city marshal in Henrietta. Uh, Rickard had rushed to Alaska during the gold strike of 1895. He staked claims for two years until the Klondike discovery of 1897 uh, pulled him into the greatest stampede in American history, that Klondike gold rush, you know, yeah. it. thousands and thousands. So a move to Dawson marked the beginning of Tex Rickard's golden touch. Within a year... His claims had paid close to sixty thousand dollars. Wow! So over six hundred thousand, eight hundred thousand in today's. Well, he used his prospecting success in purchasing a nice, thriving saloon called the Northern. And uh, his eagerness to multiply his fortunes kind of got the best of him. He gambled away pretty much all of it. Uh, his uh, business in Dawson's uh, uh, you know, he just went under and when Ricard struck uh, pay dirt again, he poured his earnings into a newer saloon the Northern, and at that time was actually the largest saloon in Nome, Alaska. Really? So it's one of those things where you make a bunch, you lose a bunch, you come back, you make a bunch more and it's going to get even better for him Yeah. (laughs) So we're back to Wyatt and his wife Josie they had previously tried their luck in the Yukon in 1897. They made it as far as Juneau, Alaska, before turning back. And reportedly it was because Josie was pregnant, although it said that she later miscarried. She was a
1: professional singer, wasn't she?
0: Uh, you know, I think she was. Yeah. But, I'm, but anyway, so the next year they made it to a place called Wrangell, where bad weather forced them to hold up until the spring thaw. By that time, they moved to a place called Rampart. Uh, the Klondike rush was pretty much all but over. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for Movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale. At MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off. At MVMT.com. So, after arriving in Nome in 1899, Wyatt introduced Tex, Rickard, to the lucrative enterprise of live boxing shows. Uh Uh-oh. This launched the career of one of America's greatest sports promoters. Okay? So... Like his pal Wyatt, uh, like his pal Wyatt gambled on the saloon business. He built uh, the Dexter Saloon with a guy named Hoxie. Which opened in September. Hoxie? Ho- yeah, Hoxie. Okay. And Wyatt's fame as a gunslinger kind of drew business. You know, he was still a famous guy. But after two years, he sold his interest uh, in the Dexter Saloon to Hoxie, transferred his mining claims to his wife's brother, Nathan. And Wyatt and Josie boarded the ship, the SS Roanoke. For Seattle, Washington, and actually he had $80,000 at that time from all of this venture, which, according to the story, was worth more than $2 million today. Ooh, my. So, But they moved to Tonopah, Nevada. I didn't know that. Where uh, Wyatt ran a saloon and worked as a deputy U.S. marshal. Now, you've been through Tonopah, Oh, up. many times. So have I, yeah. yeah. So now I didn't d- see him. I didn't either. Oh, I, okay. I, I drove right through. Yeah. So Tex Ricard followed the ERPS a few years later, landing south in a place called Goldfield when the Nevada's uh, boomtown was in full swing with the 1902 to strike the mining camp's population soared from a few scrub prospectors to 20,000 people and at that time it was Nevada's largest town
1: is it still there
0: i don't i don't know what's don't the name so. of it Goldfield.
1: I don't think it yeah. is.
0: I, I have not heard of it. So, oh. well, anyway, so Tex Ricard opened the last and largest. Whereabouts was it? Do you have any idea? Uh, it's just says south. Uh, oh, that's that kind south. of narrows it down a little bit. <laughs> so, I'm thinking south of Tonopah, okay. which is a long ways. But uh, anyway, so Ricard opened the last and largest of his uh, northern saloons. Now, Goldfield is also where Wyatt's brother Virgil lived out his last. Day. Days Uh. after arriving in 1904, Virgil was sworn in as deputy sheriff of Esmeralda County. Okay, with his left arm, you know, it had been yeah he got shot up and maimed yeah and was really useless because of the OK Corral shootout in Tombstone. Uh, Well, Virgil took a job as a security office at the National Club Saloon, but he got pneumonia and he died in 1905. Wow. So now Tex Rickard found a distraction for Wyatt uh, because they were together now. And, he's, and Wyatt was, you know, he was sat over his older brother's death. And, but Rickard announced on the newswire that Goldfield wanted to host a world title fight. hmm The first boxer to accept Rickard's challenge was the number one contender for the lightweight crown. His name was Oscar Battling Nelson.
1: I thought you were going to say promoted by Don King or something. No.
0: So... Rickard uh, needed to raise three hundred thousand, or no, thirty thousand dollars, so he could sign a guy named Joe Gans, and he was the country's first black lightweight champion. And with the help of a con artist and criminal stock trader George Rice. Rickard secured the funds within days. So a little shady stuff going on there. Oh! So Rickard stacked the purses, ten dollar and twenty dollar gold pieces in the window of the local bank, which of course was a huge amount at the time. Uh, and but it put Goldfield in headlines, in the headlines. So it was held on September third, nineteen oh six. So the mixed-race matchup became the longest bout of the centuries. Gans outfought the, quote, Durable Dane, winning on a foul in the 42nd round. Wait a minute. They didn't have a set in a number of no, rounds? No, they just went till somebody won. The sold-out sold out 20,000-seat wow. event paid $69,715, $1.92 today. Rickard's next main event was Jack Johnson versus James L. Jeffries. Now, this was up in Reno. Billed again as the fight of the century, this July 4th, 1910 heavyweight contest paid out an unheard of sum of 120,000 which is 3.13 million today to Johnson so he would defend his title against the undefeated Jeffries now Jeffries was lured out of his 6-year retirement with a guaranteed payout of 60,000 which is 1.56 million today how much of those fights or how many of those fights we're kind of
1: rigged and somebody hit the canvas on purpose. <laughs>
0: you know, if it were me, I'd just hit the canvas yeah, right off go. the bat. He's down. I'll take my one and a half million and mm-hmm. walk away. Anyways, and actually, in that particular fight, it only lasted 15 rounds. And one only? Guy, yeah, the Jeff, Jeffries got knocked out in the round 15. Well, anyway, when Johnson was defeated by Jess Willard in Havana, Cuba, on April fifth, 1915, Masterson reported on the fight from the New York Morning telegraph he was writing for them at the time and here's what he said Willard quote Willard wore the crown until 1919 when he was crushed in three rounds by Manassa Mahler Jack Dempsey. Oh. The Ricard promoted event launched the Roaring Twenties and the Golden Age of Boxing in American Boxing for the Blue Blood. So no, was that still bare knuckle or was it with gloves? I don't know. Because I
1: don't think Dempsey ever fought bare knuckle, did he?
0: I don't know. It's 1919. Hmm. So I'm not sure. But anyway, when New York legalized boxing in 1920, Tetracard Card moved his promotional operations to Manhattan. By then, Ricard and Masterson were respected members of New York's high society. They were friends of the Astors, the Rockefellers, the Roosevelts. They would stroll the sidewalks of New York with their trademark fedora hat or Stetson hat oh my. and gold-handled walking sticks. Oh you my! Know, they, they they had they made quite a sight. Anyway, Ricard's first million-dollar gate. Took place on July 2nd, 1921, the bout between Dempsey and Georges Carpenter. More than 90,000 historical fans paid $1,789,000 to watch Dempsey demolish the Frenchman in four rounds. And actually, the fight was the first major radio broadcast. Of a sporting event.
1: Now, this, I I, I believe that was with boxing gloves.
0: It could have been, 1921. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Dempsey's was also Masterson's last heavyweight championship fight. He died on October 25th of a heart attack after writing a column for the New York uh, Morning Telegraph. And about 500 people attended Masterson's funeral. Tex Rickard served as a pallbearer, but the sport of boxing kept punching on. Rickard assembled financial backers. He called what he called the "quote 600 millionaires" and constructed a third edition of New York's Madison Square Garden, and it was called the house that Tex built. You're kidding! And it opened on Eighth Avenue in December 1925. Holy! The God. modern set- setting made it fashionable for ladies and bluebud blue. Bud- blue- bloods to attend boxing matches. Well, Ricard also expanded his uh, uh, sports empire. He bought a a National Hockey League team in 1926-27. They were the Rangers later, the New York Rangers. Okay. They won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Then, throughout the 1920s, Ricard uh, kind of manipulated the press. uh, Continued to produce million-dollar gates. Uh, The Jack Dempsey Gene Tunney championship rematch at Chicago Soldier Field uh, generated a record. $2.6 $2.6 million, which wow. would be $37 million today. Today. Yeah. Text Ricard. Yeah. So anyway, things uh, kept going on. I know we're about out of time here, but, you know, Ricard uh, actually, uh, Wyatt uh, got sick, and he died uh, uh, at age 80, and actually Ricard got sick and died about a week later. Really? Uh, Wyatt but, died in
1: California, didn't he?
0: I thought he did. not Sure. Uh, huh. Yeah, I, I don't see that in my notes here, but okay. uh, anyway, there were thousands of mourners and Ricard actually supposedly had a $15,000 bronze casket, which would have been wow. probably 150000 at least now. But Does he have
1: any family members that are left in the uh, in boxing the, sport I, or...
0: Yeah, I, don't, I have no idea. I've never heard did that Did he ever name. get married
1: and have children?
0: Doesn't say that either, huh. you know. But, uh, you know, his business was boxing, and he made
1: millions and millions well, at it. Go back to Bat Masterson, because what's the history on him? Where did he come from, and how did he get his money? Uh, sounds like we've got a... Yeah, we got to call. Call her real fast. I've only got about two minutes left. Go ahead. Caller, good morning. Pardon me? There is a Goldfield, Nevada. There is a Goldfield, Nevada. Where is it? It's about three hours northwest of Vegas. Three hours northwest. 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 Uh, what do you do, go up through Pahrump? Um, I'm not sure. I just Googled it on Google Maps and found that there was a Goldfield. It's over by a place that there's a, a international... Hey, listen, thank you very much for calling in on that. I'm deeply appreciative. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. So, so there that, is a gold fuel in the back. Yeah.
0: So that's the story of boxing in the Old West that moved into the into the early 20s.
1: But what about Bat Masterson? I mean, he made his history and his fame as being kind of a quasi-gunfighter yeah. and a sheriff, etc. Uh, where did he come up with all the money and fame and everything? I
0: think they used him as a... Uh, kind of a front man? Yeah. Just to, you know, here's a name that oh. is famous. And uh, yeah. you get some names like uh, like Masterson and Wyatt... Okay, let's see what this caller's got to say. Caller, good morning. You're on the air. Quickly.
1: Cowboy yeah, Mike, how you doing? Good, Mike. What do you know for us? Uh, Goldfield, Nevada, was discovered by... Hang on, come down. Was discovered by Diamond Field Jack, who was tried, to be hung in Albion, Idaho, in the jails in Oakley. Just before they hung him in Albion, uh, the governor put a stay of execution. A uh, man got off the horse... Got off the train, rode his horse across Snake River, Albion. When he got to Albion, the horse fell over dead. No, I'll be done. stopped the hanging of Diamond Field Jack. Well, I appreciate the information. I'm almost... The a- feeling about it was very famous. Okay. That gold came out in ledges at first. All but right. Diamondfield Jack was the first one to discover that gold there. All right. God bless you, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. Dr. History, final thoughts?
0: Uh, We've got a big story about Diamondfield Jack, and he did discover (laughs) mines worth millions and millions but died a pauper. We'll take one more
1: quick call. It's got to (laughs) be fast. Go ahead, caller, fast. Caller, are you there? Yes, we lost it. Evidently, they're not there. Uh, Dr. History, you did a great job. I'd like to do some follow-up, though, on Wyatt Earp and Bat Masterson. And also tied into the fray is Doc Holliday. Oh, yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Doc Holliday the
1: dentist. Yep. yep. I do know quite a bit of history about Doc Holliday. Uh-huh. Uh, because of people that I know, I believe his home state was Georgia where he was born and raised, and I know some of his ancestors.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to have their stories.
1: But anyway, he was a dentist that went sour. He <laughs> did.
0: You could say that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Hey, thanks. Good job. You bet. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Z. God bless you. Stay warm. I will. Sure you don't want to take my tractor no, for me? No, no. But I'll let you do that. All right. We're-